0: One quick message before I start the show, you can find all the links and resources for this episode by visiting the show notes on RickyRichards.com. If you enjoy this episode, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can help me to grow the show by leaving a review on iTunes. For anyone who does subscribe, review or share, thank you. I appreciate it. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Ricky Richards Represents, the show where I talk tips for success with leading figures of creativity and innovation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. My guest today is Thomas Colster, an ex-ad man who, after having worked in the industry for many years, decided to change path starting with the writing of a book called Goodvertising, which has subsequently contributed to a movement within the advertising industry to use brands to do good. Thomas now works as a speaker, advisor, and inspirer, encouraging brands and businesses worldwide to embrace the life-changing effects of doing work for good. Thomas, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. A, thanks a, Thanks for the beer.
0: Yeah, no worries. And apologies if I completely uh, ruined your name there in the, in the intro. <laughs> um, no worries. So... I'm fortunate, unlike most guests I get to meet, I actually met you earlier today. You were at the D festival. I managed to blag a pass and uh, you spoke. So I just thought I'd ask, uh, was it good? Did you enjoy it? Was it nerve wracking? How how did you feel it went?
1: I mean it's my second time at DNA D and thank you for joining the talk. Um and what I love about the DNA D first of all is is just that it's a non profit, it's supporting supporting our industry. So whenever the DNAD calls, uh and arts for me to come and do a keynote, I'm always, like, super happy to do it. Um, it was quite interesting this time because normally I'd go on with, you know, usual good advertising Spiel, and, and this time it was like a new keynote. It was some stuff I'm working on for a second book. So for me, it was kind of... Really interesting to see how the audience and you uh, <laughs> kind of received the whole message, and uh, so so it, it was a fun it was a fun session today, um, and I enjoyed it. I mean, people, um, it's always more fun to to uh, present for creative people because it's a different crowd.
0: Sure, I guess when you're doing it to businesses, there was. A- it, what was interesting I felt was that the questions that were asked at the end normally when you're talking about sustainability you'd imagine or or doing good that people would be completely on side they tend there seemed to be like an element of skepticism and I guess that's partly to do with the way the, the industry's played out over the last couple of years and there's a couple of examples which we'll get into which have been kind of relative shockers or that maybe makes you feel a little bit more skeptical but um one thing that your whole journey just reminded me of a little bit was alex bogusky and his his journey around doing common and before today i decided to just go online and see if that still exists and it seems like they're actually still going and still doing good stuff are you familiar with uh, alex's
1: so alex was one of um so alex was one of the guys I actually interviewed for the book because i think that Back in the days when he was at, at, at uh, Crispin, they were doing some really exciting stuff like the Truth Campaign, uh, which is still, in my opinion, one of the most uh, exciting anti-smoking campaigns out there. And um, so he was one of the early ones that I interviewed. And, and it was interesting because one of the things I'm fascinated about is really what makes people change. I mean, I've been on a, a path myself working in advertising and suddenly waking up and saying, fuck, I've got to do something different. <laughs> can't waste my years just selling diapers and cars and shit that I don't believe in. So, of course, all of the people I interviewed, that was one of the, the questions I always asked. And, and it was interesting. So I think Alex's journey was kind of like a transition. Of course, he was working for Burger King at the time, and he kind of felt a little bit at odds with that. But... It seemed like at least that was his answer, <laughs> uh, that, that his kind of pivotal, his turning point was um, getting children and him being afraid that one day his uh, son would ask him, Dad, you knew the world was a shit bag. What were you doing about it? And so, so for me, that was interesting.
0: Well, he also went very shit or bust as well with it, didn't he? Because when his video came out, it was kind of, I'm this big guy from the big wide world of advertising. I'm going to slack all of that off and set up this cabin in the woods. <laughs> but if, it, it, if it didn't go down right, he was yeah. uh, left in the lurch somewhat, but he's uh, highly respected, I guess, for, for his actions nonetheless.
1: Yeah, so now out of Boulder, still, I believe, running what he calls the Fearless Codgets and, of course, um, some of the money he got out of the whole... Crispin uh investing those in in different kind of purposeful companies, bicycle companies, etc., and, of course, the Common Project. But I actually haven't caught up with him for a while, so probably invite him and board the next time.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Before we go into uh, kind of the subject matter of doing good in advertising, I thought we could maybe just share a few stories of our own, of uh, having done really horrible things within advertising. So one example which always kind of comes back to me is was working on a thing for B-Win, which was a gambling company. And I came up with what I thought was an incredibly good idea to uh, use kind of human behavior in order to uh, gamify the gambling experience, making it highly addictive and encouraging you to come back day after day. And, of course, like my peers all kind of thought this was great. Yeah. In the back of my <laughs> mind, I knew that my mom, my mom's partner at the time and her had had broken up because of a gambling problem. And so I was very conflicted, going, look, I'm actually adding to this problem while seeing the very real-world effects of what bad advertising can kind of cause. And I guess that I imagine you'd have similar experiences in your own career.
1: For sure. I mean, through my whole career, I often talk about the Stockholm Syndrome that in a way we get, not saying that our (laughs) um, uh, clients are the ones that kind of captures and we fall in love with them, but, but... one thing I did notice, though, was that my parents' public school teachers very sensible people, and one thing they absolutely hated was McDonald's. So I've I've never had a McDonald's my whole life, and then working at DDB, McDonald's is one of their major clients, and and suddenly I had this weird crave for Big Macs. They kind of came out of uh, out of nowhere, and I still sometimes if i'm really drunk so this is a really kind of honest thing i'm putting out there i actually sometimes still do crave the big mac i don't know where it comes from i should probably um get treated somehow for my my big mac um uh, drinking um eating addiction but um (laughs) yeah i you know i think it's it's um i think it's it's something that Traditionally in the industry, we wouldn't think too much about it because I think the usual kind of excuse, and probably an excuse uh, to ourselves, is, "Yeah, we just hired guns." So I mean, whatever message doesn't really matter because you know, I mean, I've done I've done some pretty terrible sexist stuff if I look back at my uh, early days in the career for a fitness uh, fitness chain, uh, which was one of my early clients when I ran my own agency, and, and looking back at some of that stuff. Pfft, you know, what, you know, I, I, what was I, they doing in that time? I did time? a thing
0: for Dirty Burger and the whole concept <laughs> was like, you know, it was a kind of mix of Japanese porn meets Grindhouse. It so kind of <laughs> definitely, when I look back at it, objectified, objectified women. But like, yeah. what I found fascinating at the time is that they were kind of all, all kind of for being in it and they got the yeah. concept and the clients were women. Yeah, and they bought it and loved the idea and yeah. knew everything that was going on but like as time moves on yeah. culturally you look back at something and go actually the world has shifted even in th- three, four years and it, that it, is it, no it, longer it, acceptable like I don't feel great about doing that thing you know
1: it, it, it changes so quickly I look look at the fence of uh, Harvey Weinstein's lawyer and he said you know Harvey Weinstein is a dinosaur um, an old dinosaur learning new ways and and I think that kind of applies to a lot of us in advertising that a lot of the topics that we talk about um women empowerment um uh, you know uh, some environmental issues social issues um they it just happens so quickly. look at the the me too movement and and the rise of that so I think we in advertising just need to be way more aware of what's going on and and one i mean one one piece of advice that i always give to creatives, you know. F- fuck the Lewis's archives of this world, don't fucking look at ads. If you want to get inspired, go out in the real world, be like a documentary filmmaker, be like a journalist, because those are the conversations that you should be paying attention to these days.
0: This is definitely not one of the questions I had, but it's interesting, (laughs) having just sparked from the conversation we've had, is that there's obviously, if you look back at the world 50 years ago, it was a very, very different place. And I don't think, necessarily people at that time walked around going right we're going to treat women differently but as culture evolves obviously you you see the error in your ways and there's a lot of cultural stuff now where we're harking back to before and saying look how terrible it was and it, it's that's kind of under the assumption that we're at the the end of that journey already when clearly we're just in another moment in time that we'll we're, we're seem to surpass so how do you uh guard against that is it a case of just trying to be ahead of the curve you know in all aspects so like right now you might say gender fluidity and um i don't know like whatever whatever kind of things are out there which people are like a little bit on skeptical about whether that's thing or whatever should we embrace it purely because we feel like maybe that's where the world's going and we'll look back at it and feel like we're on the wrong side of history not,
1: I mean, well, Um I think uh, <laughs> Throw- big <laughs> question. Uh, <laughs> yes, Sorry, um, throwing you in the deep end. <laughs> yeah, um, I, th- I think it's part of. Um, I think what you've got to do is you, you're always going to be very value aligned uh, in terms of your own personal life, and 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 and, uh, and I think the um, I think the deeper the, the the deeper question is probably, I mean, trying to second guess where some of this stuff is going is definitely the wrong way. I mean, you've got, you've got to feel that this is something that you believe in. And I think that some of the issues around all of this is, of course, the political correctness, that, you know, the kind of whole PC thing, you know, what, what, what should you say? What shouldn't you say? And I believe that we need to discuss stuff. And it's super important that we dare to discuss some of these topics, whether that's racism, whether it's feminism, and we should never shy away from not discussing those topics uh, because that's part of democracy. Uh, what we need to do, though, is try and stay as informed uh, to diverse opinions uh, as, as humanly possible. And so... Uh, one of the things I try to do is uh, when I wake up, I have a thing for u s politics but so I read the BBC I read cNN Huffington Post, Fox News because that kind of gives me the broad spectrum of the, the the black and white and the grace, and I think that 's what we 've got to do when it comes to some of these topics as well we 've got to you know you 've got to talk to a feminist you 've got you 've got to talk to um, you're, you're, couple, uh, you're the kind of typical blue-collar worker and try and understand those types of mindsets. And and from that, make out your own opinion because else it's going to be um, a world that's very split. And I think that's the really sad thing that's happening right now. And, you know, Brexit and and U- the U.S. election as well, that you have people living in the cities that are super liberal and you have people... Now, I'm kind of like simplifying things. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> you have people living in... in um in, in smaller cities, rural areas that just don't kind of have the same liberal mindset. Um, and I think it's important that we respect both sides of that equation and not pretend like we have, you know, we know more, you know, they're ill-informed or whatever. So it's important to look for the truth in, in, in the grace.
0: It's a great point. I think I just I won't I won't harp on on that. But Jay Wallace makes a nice point that as a creative, you you need to have a level of empathy with whoever you're trying to. You need to put yourself in the shoes of whoever you're marketing for, and that whole thing came around the gender debate. Really, like, you know, are are men more equipped to answer a brief for American football? Are women more equipped to answer a brief for makeup? Well arguably yes in some instances but as a creative you should be able to have empathy for all and be able to put yourself in the shoes of other people so, so true so, so true yeah yeah um before we go into the next section deep dive into advertising as a whole i just saw a simple question but what is the difference between advertising and goodvertising
1: it's i mean it's it's um it's unfortunately that that i mean that um that most advertising out there is and it shouldn't be like that I mean good advertising should really be the the thing Uh, it should be the new normal but for some crazy reason some good advertising is not really what I would say beneficial to society which I think is like a crazy notion that it's not so for me the thing about good advertising is really doing something that's respectful to to people Um, so the kind of Simple equation I put out there in the book was saying, you know, when you do something that's good for people in play, it's going to be good for brand and bottom line. Um, Because by the end of the day, I think we as creatives, as advertisers, as marketeers, have a responsibility because advertising has such a massive impact on our society. And I think as an industry saying, oh, we're just a mirror of society. That's fucking bullshit. We're shaping culture. And when you're shaping culture, I don't think we should make young girls insecure about not wearing the right clothes or wearing the right makeup, or guys feeling insecure because they're not driving the fucking coolest new BMW. And and that's what I'm against. That stuff. And so, in essence, there shouldn't be something called advertising or good advertising. Uh, there should purely be something that's, of course, good for society that's out there.
0: For the second section of the interview, I wanted to talk to Thomas about the advertising industry and why he believes creating work for the greater good is more effective than traditional ads. And for those who believe that that is the case, how does he propose agencies convince clients that this is good for business? Uh, you briefly touched on it there. I thought, again, another very simple question. I apologize for kind of hashing over this stuff. I think it's good to kind of get a good baseline. Um, do you fundamentally believe that if brands change their strategy to do good stuff, that in almost all circumstances that it can result in a better business, or do you think that there are some circumstances in which good advertising should, should like, should we kind of put it in air quotes, that it always will be effective, or do you think there's some brands that it shouldn't, it, you shouldn't go that route? Does it, does it come down to the brand itself, like that they they as an actual organization, as a product need to be good?
1: I think that, um, great question. Um, and I think the thing is that we we, 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 we we tend to kind of deduct the whole thing down to brands. And in essence, I, I very much see this as, as kind of the way we in the advertising we used to deal with this stuff with the brand kind of just being the tip of the iceberg and nobody really questioned what was underneath the water level. For me, I love to talk about sustainable businesses. So, you know, are your business or brand in it for the long term? Um, and I think that's that's probably the biggest, biggest thing because, I mean, um, you know, selling cigarettes, for example, that's never going to be a societal beneficial thing to do. People can choose to smoke cigarettes, fine by me. But what you can choose to do is you can you can not as a secret company per se, but let's say a car company can of course try and produce cars in the most sustainable manner. Um, and, and I mean, um, Tesla is one example. I mean, what BMW have done in terms of um, the, the the hybrid cars and stuff like that. So I think it's really about the the the, the shift that's happening. And in, in advertising, unfortunately, we so focused on digital and we're so focused on social media AI and all that shit but but the four kind of trends, digital is the fifth that's really going to kind of shift the the whole landscape of of businesses and brands is things like climate change and resource scarcity it's demographic change it's 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 urbanization and all of these things are whether brands want it or not are going to affect their business so for me it's more about how How do you create brands that are in it for the long term and in in that sense you've gotta embrace a different model
0: I've got uh, another question for you that kind of the best way for me to explain it is to kind of give you an analogy yeah, and it when I was a child, I grew up in North Devon on the south coast. I believe you were a surfing fan yeah uh, so like <laughs> likewise it was you know by the ocean, it was a beautiful place but My family, every evening, we'd crowd around the TV and we'd watch it. And celebrities in the world of celebrity was like a world into a new dimension. And back then, you would see celebrities in this hyper hyper reality, you know, music videos, TV shows with these amazing cribs, blah, blah, blah. And there was no means of accessing those celebrities. So you would elevate them onto like a, a crazy scale. Back then, you had mega superstars. Nowadays, there's, there's a lot more transparency. You have a lot more people that are well-known, but less of the kind of same scale, even though the ones that are of that scale are arguably larger. But yeah. anyway, you kind of get the point I'm trying to make. With regards to brands, um, so there's a lot of stuff regarding sustainability and uh, being green and ethical, et cetera, et cetera. And what I found is that a lot of them embrace this transparency standpoint like the new model whereas versus say the brands like say nike uh adidas to to some degree those brands still try and kind of keep a veil of um like a veil between them and the audience in order to kind of elevate them to make them still feel that that uh unattainable kind of hyper reality
1: yeah
0: and there's no arguing that when it comes to say trust, for example, like when you feel like you're dealing with a mom and pop shop, whilst you love that for some reasons, you you also lack there's some level of like I'm not sure if I'm going to get the same quality every time, for example. Whereas I go to McDonald's or I go to Nike or I go to any of these big brands, there's a there's a there's a reputation expectancy there. I've probably made this very very complicated, but the point not I'm try- the point I'm trying to make is, um, with this new movement towards sustainability and everything is is having removing that 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 veil actually detrimental to the growth of what is otherwise a good cause do they do they need to shroud themselves in a little bit more the old model if if that makes sense
1: i mean it's it really depends on i mean the 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 biggest change i've seen is um it's, it's probably a move away from whatever is kind of have that whale of industrialization or whatever you want to call it, that yeah. kind of, you know, aspirational type product because um, what, what tends to happen now, I mean, walk down the street and you see like crazy messages like, uh, you know, handmade fries and things like, you're like, what the, you know, aren't they handmade anyway? I mean, handmade coffee, what you know. So I think these days we just um, aspirational towards something else. We want something else, we want something that's authentic, we want something that's human, that we can connect with. And I, I think it really does come back to us just living in these kind of you know, maker cities and and, and and we just want something that's, that's more human. That is more the mom and pop type feeling. Because by the end of the day, that's what a brand is about, I think. It's actually kind of giving that personal relationship. And um, so I think the thing I talked about today was the, the thing that quality, the, the idea about what is quality today has just changed. The idea about what a brand is and what authenticity is and what is aspirational has changed. So, um...
0: Sorry to, sorry to interrupt. No worries. But I'll give you another example It's literally just popped into my head. Skate Skateboarding has yep. been a uh, an industry for many years that was very, very authentic. You had all these brands that kind of emerged from skaters themselves printing stuff onto T-shirts and you had all these wonderful movements, the Dogtown Z-Boys and the kind of Tony Hawks era. And then... Nike come along sponsor a bunch of really good skateboarders create a bunch of products and dominate this sector it's it's really hard to then like i'm trying to understand this because it feels i'm 100% on your side as i love the authenticity side but then i can also see the power of brand and how once you're at scale you're quite hard to be defeated Unless people's purchasing decisions reflect the kind of that the, that which that which we kind of aspire for, which is for something to be cared to be created through care.
1: I think both things are brands. I think that's. I mean, yeah. Um. So so both company are brands. Whether it's like the little mum and pop shop or it's the 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 passionate guy who's just doing skateboards because he just fucking loved doing skateboards and he's a skater himself. And I think. Essentially, what we're facing right now is just a complete different way of um, producing, manufacturing and consuming. I think it's so refreshing and so super exciting that we've been in a period where, I mean, we're in the UK the the birthplace of fucking industrialization and all that stuff. And and isn't it fascinating that everyone... I mean, you we're doing a podcast right now. Before that, would be in the, in the hands of radio stations. You wouldn't even have access unless you were some sort of crazy celebrity. So I think that all of this is, has been democratized, and I think that is so great that we don't only have access to the ideas of the privileged few but actually to the talent of many. And that's really kind of some of the uh, reasons why I wanted to write that second book because I thought we're not taking this seriously in advertising. We still think we're the cool cats. We still think that we hold on to some mystical power, but we don't. We don't have that power anymore. And um, the longer we hold on to it, the the more desperate we're going to seem like.
0: Uh, on the subject of that magic power, there's a lot of ads that are being created and I think there's some amazing ones with regards to kind of social causes, but there's also on the, the counter side to that, and this is just, a, again, another subject for debate, where campaigns being produced with content that is so seems so separate from that watch that, that, that they're trying to sell. The perfect example is today, one campaign that was held up was this idea of a spray that you use on for volvo that you put on your clothing you you're able to be seen at night when you're cycling yeah. fantastic cause which is a great product and it's fantastic that volvo have got involved to elevate that product but like the argument of whether that helps to sell a car is is up for debate i, I mean what do you think
1: i mean it's um that particular um uh, project oh, what's it called safety something uh, uh I absolutely love it because it's very much aligned with what the Volvo brand is about. It's about safety and Volvo has a pledge by, uh, I think it's 2030, might be 2020, but I think it's 2030 when um, nobody should be injured or killed um, in a a car and even taking that pledge to the pedestrians and and the the cyclists. So I think it's very much aligned with what the Volvo brand stands for and and what they've always stand for, it would have seemed odd to me if that had come out of Hyundai or somebody else who hasn't talked about safety. Do, do, so, do you think me,
0: the audience takes that away?
1: I think they do. I, I mean, I think they do. I mean, remember Volvo was um, it was a, it was a, an engineer at Volvo that invented the seat belt that we're right. all using, and the cool thing was he could have kept. Volvo could have kept that pattern to themselves, but they didn't because they thought the commons were more important. It was more important that people were safe than Volvo was cashing in. So I think that is an example of a brand that that has a strong purpose and can can, um, kind of make make that live in so many exciting ways. And if if you think about the business model of selling cars, it's a fucking stupid business model because we can't squeeze more cars into a city. So I think it's exciting that Volvo can look at, um, look at where they can take their brands in so many different ways, um, as BMW and many other brands are looking at. Maybe they're not a car company, maybe they're, maybe they're a mobility company. And I think Volvo's on to a pretty exciting head start on that one.
0: Okay, well that's that's answered. <laughs> my, that's completely squashed my counter argument to it. But I, yeah, I, I do think it's interesting, and it's. Um, I'm glad you answered that because that's something that I can imagine. In fact, I don't even need to imagine it. I've heard that said in so many rooms. Like, what the hell does that have to do with? A car, for example,
1: and, and and think about it. I mean, that's the thing about a purpose; it's bigger than the fucking product, and and that's what I love about it. And also, one thing I focus on a lot is the impact, and it's not easy to measure. But remember, I'm out of Copenhagen, and and uh, we we're, we're like a crazy bicycle nation. And I actually do think a product like that will potentially be able to save lives. And for for somebody for creative person i think it's like a young i think one of them is dane maybe maybe both of them are danes but that's nothing to do with it anyway (laughs) but some young talents fresh in the industry that did that campaign i think isn't it amazing that you with advertising can save people's lives when i was that age all i was doing was just selling diapers and shit that people didn't need but so i'll give you another parallel
0: example which is not to do with saving lives and uh, I get a lot of stick for criticising this as a as a concept, but to say the Moonwalking Pony, which was a highly <laughs> successful campaign, Yeah, I know that the underlying line for that was silly stuff matters, yeah. and that was supposed to translate to 3Mobile has more data so that you can watch more silly videos on your mobile phone. I'm not at all arguing that it was a fantastic ad that got a lot of attention. Whether people left with the with the message that actually we get we get get more data with three it's questionable. Yeah. I would say. Obviously it was like a massively award winning campaign, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's good to have these debates, but that's another example where I think it's kinda of, it can be divert, uh, too fast away from what you're trying to achieve. But in this Volvo 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 example, it's quite interesting that maybe it's even uh, You're slightly older than me, not like I'm not sure how old you are, but slightly older than me. (laughs)
1: Let's not talk about that.
0: (laughs) I I have no idea that Volvo is to do with safety. Yeah. Uh, Like maybe that's just kind of missed my generation. I don't know. Or maybe I'm just one facet of a much larger generation
1: and everyone else knows and I don't. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think that's what I mean, what branding is essentially about is just kind of keep pushing out that same message and the moonwalking pony which i kind of happen to like
0: no i think <laughs> it's, it's a, I, th- I think it's good it's an
1: entertaining ad and it i is. think that, that i mean you can that's the only thing that advertising has kind of hung on to all of these years it's like let's do something that's funny and then people are going to love it and and fine um i i do think though that again if you look at at, at it was tree who did it right
0: uh, yeah, it was Wyden and Kennedy and Three, and yeah. they always produce good stuff, so I can't yeah. knock
1: them. No, but it's almost like Tree as a brand for me is also so centred around entertainment and, and, and that. So for me, the, the feeling of that brand was really well translated in that ad. And I think that's the thing that so often... And that's what is exciting about branding is that we often talk about brands in these very kind of emotional things, you know, I like this, I like that. And, and and quite often we can't really put into words why that is so, because it's so irrational. And and it's just embracing that and knowing that that is that little magic thing that branding really is. It's, it's kind of working on that emotional...
0: And it's bigger picture.
1: Exactly, so... I mean, again, with Volvo, it's just interesting that that kind of just penetrates that brand that I just feel safer in a Volvo.
0: Um, Volvo is a a big brand, but uh, over recent years, there's been, like, if a small brand does a campaign that's around any kind of social cause, it tends to be relatively well-received. Whereas if you find a Coca-Cola or something doing it and... You know, all the demographics are ch- checked off, and like it feels very, all very uh, box ticky. Yeah, there's a like a kind of a deep-seated like sense of, like, oh my god, really? Like, you know, if, it, if whether that's a, an advertising person's perspective or whether it's the, do you feel like people are more skeptical when a big brand tries to do something good, and should they be?
1: I mean, there's still this weird notion out that, you know, business shouldn't be doing good, which which I don't get at all. I mean who put that weird concept into place that business is evil. Um so I think for big brands, I mean it's 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 really about again being authentic and whether it's aligned with the brand because else people are gonna be suspicious. Um I mean if um I mean if if you suddenly um never been connected to a social issue and just saying something to your girlfriend or whatever saying, you know, oh, this weekend I'm going to go out and I'm going to uh, collect money for uh, Red Cross International. She's going to be like, what, what, what the heck? I didn't, I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know you cared about that stuff. So I think that's the same reaction that people have when they see brands kind of just like rushing into something that they don't care about. And probably one of the most interesting cases in this space uh, was um, Axe or Links, as it's called, in the UK. And a couple of years ago, three years ago I think they uh, did a campaign around peace and of course in the eyes of Unilever it was a sexist brand and all that stuff so it wasn't really kind of fitting with the whole Paul Paulman spiel about you know purpose and it was just happened to be so that there was this survey out around what do millennials care about (laughs) and number one on that list kind of set peace so there wasn't a lot of kind of creative imagination going into creating that campaign and crafting that campaign that was around peace. There was no fit whatsoever with Lynx because there was no... I think Lynx was... A, it's a controversial brand. It's controversial to be sexist. There's nothing controversial in supporting peace. But now what they've been doing the last couple of years is really talking about things like what is the biggest killer of men in the UK? Suicide. That is fucking controversial. And balls it to talk about that to talk about uh, toxic um, masculinity, things like that excites me. And it's much more connected to what that brand stands for, in essence, being a provocative brand, provocative youth brand. So I think when it goes wrong is when you're not brand aligned, when you're not authentic, and uh, then people quickly um, um, call it out as bullshit.
0: That makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, I worked on a campaign with Ollie Mills in there not too long ago for a, a government organisation called Go Ultra Low. And their mission is to try and encourage people to move to electric vehicles. So really good brief. Amazing. But what we kind of discovered was that um, basically amongst the the electric vehicles are slightly more expensive. Among the people that want to buy them, they also want the vehicles to feel cool as well as energy efficient and the problem with energy efficiency is that for years it's been shrouded in fresh and white cars with green leaves flying out the exhaust and when you're paying £20,000 more for a car you want it to feel fucking like super cool and yeah <laughs> but actually they're specced out they look pretty good now they're they, they're actually faster etc etc but there's a school of thought that people don't buy what's write for them on paper they buy what they want so it's not a rational argument it's an emotional one as you as you rightly point out do you, for years though with regard to a lot of these sustainable things or any kind of good initiative it kind of it's been pitched as a rational argument as opposed to a, a an emotional one for example yeah. do you feel like this whole sector needs to be rebranded or <laughs> that the, the different the different does it need to be sold differently
1: um, that was a big question. Um, well, um, I think in terms of, of, um, I mean, cars are quite fascinating because I mean, we all know the different car brands, but I mean, just see the development towards smaller cars. I mean, I don't think anybody would have thought that it would be okay for a man to drive a small car. And and, and and still being able to kind of feel masculine about it. Uh, or these days, a man driving a, a small electric car and, and feel cool about it. So I think a lot of this stuff is just changing faster, kind of going back to the value discussed in the very beginning, faster than we think. Um, by the end of the day, I think that... And I see this globally, actually, that what, what used to be cool... What used to be status is turning into low status. I mean, a really super weird example is that I had a job for a um, Italian super yacht company. So massive boats, typically uh, about 150 oh, that's in euros, but about probably um, you know ah uh, 100 million pounds or so. So for the kind of wealthy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the interesting thing was the insight from that company was today there's a different type of billionaire because it's not the kind of billionaire that wants like, um, uh, rare wood that wants, like, endangered fucking animal skins in his bedroom because that was the type of billionaire 10 years ago. The new type of billionaire might still want the big boat, kind of get that, but wanted in a more kind of sustainable way. So, you know, creating small gardens that kind of cuts through the, 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 the different levels of the boat. Um, uh, dynamic anchoring so it doesn't ruin the coral reefs. So, I mean, there's just a, a, a shift of mindset that is super exciting. So the thing that was high status is certainly low status and and, and that's why I tend to love to talk... To, tend to love uh, to talk about consumption and how consumption is changing uh because it's definitely not how consumption was when i was young or when i entered the industry and i think that is what some of the dinosaurs in our industry some of the old guys and and, and women out there got to understand that that has changed
0: yeah i think that's a really fascinating insight and um I think it kind of stems to some degree out of the tech industry because the whole thing is about questioning assumptions. And when you do so, um, it's like you know you can you can you can become wealthy very fast if you're changing the status quo for something that is the better. I love uh, what's it Ray Dalio, the founder of Bridgewater Capital. He has this really interesting insight, which is basically it, the biggest successes are the things which are a contrarian viewpoint that turn out to be right. Yeah, <laughs> and the, the, cool. <laughs> yeah, and the, the tech industry as a whole is pretty good at that. And yeah. One thing I was going to say to you actually is, you know, you promote good goodvertis- advertising, but I kind of feel like there's an army of intelligent, open-minded, kind of uh, divergent thinking individuals out there within the advertising industry. And we are wasted by creating like ads when we should be trying to create stuff businesses stuff like I kind of if if there was a mission for me within the advertising industry, like you've got one, it would be to try and encourage more people to get the hell out of it and to yeah. actually start creating stuff for themselves. Do you think that that's a good thing, or do you think that we actually still need some people in inside the mix, uh try, like trying to trying to win it over from the inside?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I think the sad thing is that a lot of people and I think a lot of young people uh today um that's creative might not see the advertising industry as um a career path, uh, because it's not value aligned and, and that's a a a loss for the industry. I think our industry still has a lot to offer. Um and I think it's about um Really, creating the change that's needed in our industry and the systemic change that's created uh, that's needed in our industry because we're so often so short-term focused. So we, all we can do is just kind of following the the whip of the client and saying you know, it's all about sales results. It's all about plucking products, and the way we work is so short-term, brief, arrive. We do the brief outcomes to create a product, and I think we need to kind of change that system because what and some of the people i met in this industry um and i know what they're capable of and i know that the understanding of the market the understanding of brands i mean we can do amazing stuff we can think of different business models and and so i think there's there's a lot that people can do and i and that's also why I keep pushing for good advertising. It's really just to say to people, just don't fucking accept status quo. I mean, if you have a creative director that wants you to do fucking print ads and shit like that, tell him differently. I mean, question your clients. I mean, try and do different stuff because I'm just so super sad every time I see some of the most innovative stuff it doesn't come out of industry anymore. It comes out of social entrepreneurs, environmental entrepreneurs, and... Um, I have this like little video video thing I, I sometimes do when I'm when I'm out and about and traveling that call group a coffee where I just chat with some of these entrepreneurs and some of the stuff they do is amazing, so I think it's really for us in the industry to say we can change this. I mean it's our industry and we can we can we can chart a different path for it. I think it's super exciting and and. And I mean, d and some of the conversations that last year around uh, consumption and some of the conversations that, you know, are being had right now at the festival, it's amazing. I mean, who would have thought that our industry would discuss these things? So I think we're on the, the right trajectory, but um, we just need um, more people to kind of voice up and, and, and say that we've got to do things differently.
0: Talking about that, um, last week I I have this newsletter, and every week I post basically just like a different thought I have. And last week it was about naming things. Okay. <laughs> and I think that, like, when you name something, you're more likely to get people on board with it. Yeah. So, the example I was using was at, uh, one of the girls at work. She started Run Club and Healthy Bake Off, right? It was just two initiatives, and before we knew it, like, we had a group of runners and a group of people baking cakes. But I started talking about how when you're trying to create, like, weird behavior change, giving something a name is really helpful. So, twerking, planking, like, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But today, you talked about creating platforms. And some of the things you spoke about was Movember, uh, Small Business Saturday, like, some of the other naming things, Two for Tuesdays. Yeah. Or uh, Orange Wednesdays, you know, like, it's a simplification of of something. but. Could you explain your kind of platforming philosophy? Because I think it's a really good one and I think it makes a lot of sense and I think it'd be a good way to summarise this section of the interview, I guess.
1: Cool, yeah. I mean, um, first of all, I do agree. I think framing is so crucial to what we do in our industry. And of course, unfortunately, a lot of the stuff, the typical framing advertising has been so full of stereotypes. And and, um, one of the projects that, and then I'm going to pivot into the platform thing that you actually asked about. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, One of the projects that I've been most proud about is actually a project uh, for a client, an unemployment fund that I've been working for a, a couple of years ago. And and because the thing is that as soon as people become unemployed, people look down at them and are like, they're fucking lazy, I mean, get a job and all that stuff. And one of the ways we tried to reframe it, we did multiple campaigns, this is just one of them, was to create a completely new word. Uh, this was in Danish. So, and and probably the, the direct translation would be job hunter. So, not somebody who's just fucking lying on a cart as a cart potato, not doing not anything, but actually somebody who actually really wants to work and who's passionate about it. So, I think reframing can do a lot of stuff. Back to platforms. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, so the whole concept around platforms is, is 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 tying into some of the work that i'm doing now on, on on the new book and what i kind of realized was that um the the power that we used to have as as marketeers as, you know advertising people are just kind of slipping through our fingers and something exciting is happening i mean Look at the the Me Too movement uh, being at the cover of of, of Time as as kind of the biggest movement last year. So the biggest fucking thing last year was in in the media space was not even created by advertising people. So I started thinking about what is it that kind of creates that kind of empowered that that sort of movement building, and what is it that brands and businesses can do to tap into that. And 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 then I, you know, because the whole thing about a democratized media space and democratized businesses is really that it's about enabling people. And I, for me, I think that's super exciting that, that that's part of a democratic society. So I looked at, at a number of campaigns and tried to figure out what is the commonality amongst all of these campaigns that succeed at not just creating something that we usually do, like a campaign, runs three months and then it's over, but something that could keep going and everybody who want to be part of it could be part of it, which is exciting from a growth perspective because look look at the Me Too movement. It's exponential. It's grown. So so that was my kind of first kind of series of questions. What makes that happen? And, and you know, um, uh, the... Um, um, and 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 one of the early one of the early examples, the one example I talked about at at, at the conference as well, was uh, Movember, because it's just a typical example of a, a platform in the sense that everybody can take part. All you got to do is grow a moustache. You can you can throw a party and grow a moustache. You can do whatever you want. So it's participatory. It's common. Everybody can participate. It's fun. There's like a little value add to it. And it's the fastest growing um non profit um in recent years it's the the hundred biggest profits today so that's why I kind of start looking into the platform space and and it's kind of just the very beginning of understanding how brands need to shift into um an enabling and empowering position rather than being these kind of purposeful um um pretend to be like businesses.
0: Yeah, uh, there's there's one thing which I, I worry about, and with regard to this space, and it's that. So when you had the uh, Harlem Shake, yeah, or uh, Neck Nominate and it was Ice Bucket ch- Ice Bucket Challenge, yeah, 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 yeah. Once once the creative uh, approach has been like un- well understood, and and all of a sudden people start executing on it over and over and over again, you start to saturate the market, and people kind of go the other way like the counter to it so oh that's another one of those right okay right we're not going to participate in that yeah hopefully if i think it's about a lot to your point earlier about alignment if the initiative and the platform is aligned perfectly with what it is you're trying to achieve then it makes sense and if you're just trying to create something for creating something's sake it probably won't work
1: no, I agree. I agree. And that's why it, it's, um, I mean, the, the whole idea about platforms is that it's part of bigger narrative. It's part of a different type of brand, not a brand that goes the Simon Sinek way and says, what is my why? We as a company are so super important. We uh, uh, save uh, the polar bears. We do this and that. But it's it's really about the type of companies that respect the customers and try and enable them to do more And feel more and experience more so it's 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 a kind of different type of brand that i think is super exciting kind of going back to the the um, the whole thing about these you know small community you know little corner store because that's what it is about i mean it's 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 a it's a um it's 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 not about a, a monologue. It's about the dialogue that's interesting. You can go down there and you can ask for it, you know. So, it's it's part of a bigger bigger change in advertising. And I think we're just seeing the very kind of early days of that. And for me, it's it's interesting to really kind of truly try and understand what is happening when you have some of the big brands and some of the big, um, you know, FMCGs, PNG, Nestle, Unilever. When people are suddenly kind of starting to turn the back of those type of brands, what, what is the reason behind that? And do we actually truly believe that those brands enable a better life for you and me? For the final section of the interview, I wanted to ask Thomas some more
0: general questions about sustainability and trends which are occurring on a social and societal scale, and to get his opinion about how many of these trends will play out in the future. Um, today at the, at the d d talk, you mentioned your niece, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I happen to have a seven-year-old little sister, and it was one of the only things I was like, I completely disagree, my little sister is just like a little consumption maniac. Yeah. Her bedroom is, uh, partly I would assume my parents are to blame, like I think you can educate your kids, but she wants stuff, she wants an iPad, she wants new dogs and cats and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Whereas your argument was within the monks, the younger generation, there's a there's a uh, more emphasis on experience and trying yeah. to seek experiences. And I think that's And self-realisation, especially. I think that's true. Yeah. But I wonder if it's in the context of basically we've hit a point of um, excess on consumerism that basically once you've fulfilled your your uh, desires in the in the form of material goods that actually the next logical progression is to move on to experiences um so do you think that because obviously this is all in the context of say the minimalist movement and all yeah. these kind of things which is, again is like fantastic and i'm a massive propagator of it yeah but i just wonder if um do you think it's a trend that actually we just it's consumption and then experience or do you think that experience is going to trump out over consumption
1: um I think the development is really like I I think we've we've been through this um kind of excessive consumption and just one quick example as well that kind of illustrates this was um a couple of years ago before um she just turned fourteen, right? But so a couple of years ago, um um I bought her um I'm her shoe uncle um, and I think I bought her like a box of roller skates. So that's kind of within the concept of, of shoes in a way. And um So, of course, she became super tired of that very, very quickly. But then we had this big cardboard box. And and what happened was we ended up cutting out a hole in the cardboard box. And then she was playing a TV presenter. And so I was holding this imaginary remote control. And we were kind of playing around with that. And I was kind of swapping channels. And she was like all these different types of, you know, Animal Planet, you know, BBC, and it was fantastic. So kind of playing into the kind of whole imagination of, of these kids. So I think...
0: That, that sounds amazing, by the way. <laughs> it was it was, it was was a lot of
1: fun. What was my point with that? Anyway, no, but I think, you know, you you go so quickly tired of things. Yeah. Especially kids. I mean, you've you got to play with the thing for five minutes, and then, I mean... It was a different, it was a different thing when I was a kid, and you had your Lego bricks and stuff. I grew up in Denmark, right? So, and and that was what you had. You got your one box of Lego, and that was it. So you valued it way more. Yeah. I mean, kids today, man, they get so much stuff; they don't even know what they got for Christmas. Yeah. But I think the development is really from um, the movement now that I'm seeing is is actually away from just experiences, because I think we've we've over the last decade or so, had been buying into experiences and and, and, and and you know, going into the Disney store and you'd have this, you know, amazing Disney experience, you'd stay at the Disney hotel. I think what this is about today is really about self-realization. It's about understanding yourself better. It's about developing yourself, um, kind of the very top of the Maslow pyramid in a way, that you know, look at the yoga movement and all that stuff. So people want to do something that develops them, that that enables them to become uh, better people, that learns some new skill sets. And I think that's where brands have a, a massive opportunity to enable people to do that stuff. And there are brands out there that's getting it. And there are brands out there that unfortunately are stuck with that crazy old believe that what you buy is just things.
0: I think you're so right, and funny parallels. Today we did a personal branding kind of workshop or whatever, and the last thing was like that what... was at
1: the DNAD, right? Yeah. yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, and
0: it was like, what's your what's your kind of guiding principles at the end? And like everyone had their different ways of saying it. Mine was kaizen, the Japanese philosophy for like incremental progress.
1: Okay, cool. but it's
0: like every, everyone's was basically the same yeah. like in a different word it was like we i want to continue to learn i want to continue to you know etc cetera, etc cetera, and i want to keep going towards what i believe is my self-fulfillment in in some some respect or another yeah. like there was nothing that felt particularly contrary to that if that's even how you say that word um but yeah to, to your point, like, it's it's it was interesting that, to see that lots of people were articulating it in different ways, but actually we all have the same kind of human innate innate thing inside of us.
1: Exactly, that's what we, I mean, that is what makes us, that is what makes us do what we do. I mean, I mean, you're skating, or you've, you've been skating or surfing, you don't surf because you're paid to surf. You surf because you fucking want to surf, and you think it's amazing, and you think that, it's so damn difficult to get up on that wave. And when you get it, you get that little feeling of success. So you're doing it for your own sake in a way. You're doing it to develop yourself. And when marketing can kind of tab into that, you're tapping into the very human spirit of what really matters to people. And that's why I'm so fascinated with brands that actually enable people to do stuff like that rather than brands that look at their own purpose and like, oh, we're so cool. We do this and that. What well, fucking matters by the end of the day is what can you do for me what's my purpose how can you help me enable that live that and 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 do more of that stuff that I like to do
0: I have uh like I had a couple more questions I think I'm just going to move on to the last one because I think it as I asked you earlier with regards to advertising people should they just go and do their own thing um <laughs> there's a guy that I'm have been I've got a couple of heroes People that are like you know have informed the way I've shaped my life or whatever. One of those people is uh, this chap who jo- uh, died last year, I believe, called Jack Fresco. Who's he was a futurist. He he invented this thing called the Venus Project. He's basically just an exceptionally good designer and engineer, and he would created this kind of utopian future of this quite kind of uh almost communist like looking kind of uh spherical cities resource-based economy there was no money there was no like everything would be shared divvied up etc etc
1: yeah <laughs> um i'll have to look that
0: up yeah i think i think you know as a he himself was a he lived to over a hundred i believe he was a very kind of wise man science at the core of who he was so it was all very methodical thinking and was very good at rational argument without over labouring the point like I am right now. But the point, uh, <laughs> the point I was trying to make is are some of these things that we're talking about, like the trying to encourage different behaviour change, are they, uh, systematic of the world we live in on a bigger scale outside of our industry? Is it our economic and, and political space or is it, is it, is it small battles to be won or is actually the problem the the bigger picture the fact that we live in a uh you know uh, what what's what's the word to, like to mean consumption i've just completely lost it on my head uh, um a, 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 a whatever society there, okay <laughs> uh, i well, yeah i mean well cuz i believe that you mentioned earlier that you speak to a lot of business business kind of people so i imagine the conversation is very different in those circumstances, what kind of things do people like to talk about?
1: I think well, the the thing that I feel so blessed about is uh, being able to uh, travel around the world and 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 um, and meet a lot of interesting uh, people on the street, business people, et cetera. And I think there's right now a exciting global movement kind of taking shape that's kind of redefining a lot of the stuff that I kind of grew up with in terms of the type of world we want to live in and 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 kind of challenging a lot of that stuff. And so think there's almost like a, a collective thing that's going on right now, whether that is a response to some of this, like, in a way, kind of romanticism. I mean... Look, on and the, and the backside of industrialization, people kind of all romanticize nature. Kind of we're saying the fucking same thing. Now people are <laughs> stuck and crammed into cities like London and you live in this small, small uh, flat. You're probably flat sharing with three, four other people. And suddenly nature is the big, you know, savior of everything. And and, and, and you're suddenly doing it urban and gardening and you think that's amazing. So, of course, there are like some rational uh, things to, to to that point but on the other hand i do also see that we are probably or we are the first generation that are starting to feel the the seriousness of what is happening to our planet and to our crazy fucking culture of waste that that we had this idea that if you threw something into the ocean just mystically, it was just like evaporate. I mean, I have, remember I have this, um, I think it's from 1941 where there's some Marines on some ship in the US that has these um, drums full of radioactive material and they're just dumping them in the ocean because nobody really fucking knew what was going on. So I think a lot of the stuff is kind of interconnected to social issues and environmental issues that that we're seeing and that we are um understanding that there's got to be a different way i mean of course we kind of export a lot of the pollution we do to china and other places africa but so i, I think it's 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 almost a allergic reaction to that in a do, way do you think we're more
0: socially conscious than say the 1960 is it <laughs> the 1960s was the hippie movement do you know what i mean is it reciprocal do, are we in a cycle
1: I think everything kind of goes into these cycles of sorts but um um so I grew up (laughs) parents (laughs) parents were kind of very hippie like I would say um (laughs) Sorry, I've thrown
0: so many, so many deep questions it's at you big today. Deep questions. <laughs> don't don't have
1: more of that Peroni. It's yeah. gonna like it's gonna move into weird directions. But um, I promise you, it's yeah. nearly over. <laughs> I mean, There'll be no more hard questions. No more major philosophical questions. I think it's interesting to talk about. I mean, the um, I think this is um, this is a unique thing in the sense that we we are the generation that's that's got to change this. So we've got about 30 years to fix all this shit that we got ourselves into. So there's a kind of big responsibility on our shoulders and I think that um, younger generations are, you know, just more rebellious, more, you know, in tune with, with what's happening and probably more like, we can fucking change this. And, you know, some of the stats I share at the conference in terms of... People suddenly turning away from brands as the ones that and big companies as the ones that are gonna rescue all of us, but saying, Ah, fuck it, we're gonna take matters into our own hands and and I think that is what I'm truly fascinated about is that that people are beginning to understand that it's all down to you and I. So we we can do the change. There's no fucking excuse because you might as well be the one who Go off and and spark and uh but Me Too movement or climate movement or whatever, and I think that is, is interesting because the 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 fact that your idea your voice can reach the whole world is is mind boggling and and I think that's exciting and um, so I think we we. We live in a different time, and we live in a different period, and and that comes with uh, an exciting opportunity for everybody to realise that they themselves can enable change.
0: That's a good way to answer it because in the nineteen sixties, you didn't have that way, so
1: not really the <laughs> same way, at least. I mean, although uh, you'd have the the Yoko Ono and and you know linen sit downs and stuff like that, that that I think at that time probably felt like they were changing a whole generation, so. Yeah, things move in cycles, I don't know.
0: Before, I've got um, one more question for you. Okay. But before that, just some quick fires for you. Okay. So this is an opportunity <laughs> to lighten, lighten the mood after, like, I, get, I get so criticized for just like, asking <laughs> too many deep questions. It's like, ask, tell a joke, Rick, or do something. Yeah, okay, I, no worries. I, I apologize. Um, but anyway, so who are the, who, what are some brands who are doing it right?
1: Always get asked that uh, question. Um, poof, um, I mean, you know, I can, I can, uh, I can name a few um, companies that I like at the moment. I mean, I, I, um, I, I talked about Interface earlier. I, I think it's really applaudable how they kind of moved from a, a mission zero towards actually talking about being a regenerative business and actually want to hit, want, wanting to not just. Uh, uh, Minimising pollution, but actually healing the world, and I think that is immensely inspiring. And I think they have uh, products backing that up, and I think they have a philosophy in place that's that's super super interesting. Um, so for me, what it excites me are the brand, you know, other companies and brands that are just not kind of reactive or talk about purpose, but actually fucking do stuff and d- d- does things differently. Um, I think. I mean, it's such a typical thing to talk about, but I do actually give uh, Elon Musk a lot of kudos for some of the shit he's doing and 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 really trying to kind of change industries, whether that's space or whether that's, uh, um, you know, the kind of electric vehicle revolution. So those are the kind of some of the brands that excites me. Another one that I talked about was Wheelers. So it's a completely different type of business, but Marie Lacroix who started this fast-growing, democratized coffee chain. I absolutely love it because it's empowering and everybody can take part. It's not like the Starbucks model where you've got to have like a $500,000 franchise model, but I can buy a coffee, coffee bicycle, and I can be part of the Wheelie's really mission. So it's lots of different brands that, that excites me.
0: And aside from brands, like you're obviously a person that, um, whether you're bored of this by by how many years you've been doing it, but <laughs> yeah. here are some of the other people that are in the space that are worth taking note of if you're looking to educate yourself on it.
1: Um, I mean, this it's 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 interesting because I think there's it's more and more people that are being awake to what is happening right now and um in our industry uh that are understanding that, that things are shifting, um, but probably the people that excites me the most is um, is still the people that against all odds just go out there and make fucking amazing things happen and uh, um, it's a lot of uh, kind of social and environmental entrepreneurs that echo like, uh, integrate in my, my keynotes uh, that kind of change the way that we eat that change the way that we dress and all that stuff and try and just kind of get out of this mindset of, of resources being limited but like um Erin Smith I've talked about her a couple of times where she's growing a dress a wedding dress out of uh household waste using mushrooms I mean <laughs> you know <laughs> things like that is just mind-blowing um so yeah I mean there's there's something there that's really that that inspires me I mean in terms of agency, marketing people. Um, probably they're still too far between, really, I guess, even though there are more people kind
0: of... We had Rory Sutherland on last week, and he tend he's quite an interesting one for trying to encourage behaviour change outside of just selling stuff.
1: And he's been on there for years and years and years, and I've had a huge respect for that guy. I mean, he's, you know, back in the report... um, advertising is evil that was done by WWF and uh, I think a couple of other partners I mean he's been, been a vocal part of this movement for years and I think he's doing a, a, a great job so of course there are lots of interesting peers out there um, I just think that it's it's much more interesting to call out some of the newcomers rather than kind of pay kudos to some of the giants that's always there in the space and that In so many ways, I'm standing on the shoulder of a lot of their work, and uh, of course, uh, really grateful for that.
0: Uh, Last quickfire: If someone was trying to swoon you with a bit of generosity, what (laughs) would be the perfect gift for you? Sounds like that sounds like a Silla Black blind date (laughs) question, doesn't it?
1: (laughs) Oh, um, whoa, um, yeah. What would be the perfect gift? I'm really bad at accepting gifts actually. Uh, I always feel that I don't deserve them, uh, which is pretty odd. But so I think the biggest gift you can give to me is um, passing it on to somebody else.
0: Yeah, that's a nice one. Uh, so before I ask you the final, 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 <laughs> final question, <laughs> okay. uh, where can people get hold of you and do you have any asks for the audience?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a pretty accessible guy. I think you've got to be that these days. I mean, um, and I mean, Good sites to Info is a, pl- a good place to start and to be part of the movement and, and share a bit of the work that excites you out there. Um, Twitter, all the social media channels, uh, com, and all that stuff. And for me, it's always about just kind of tapping into that movement and, and listening into what people think about all this stuff. I mean, uh, and and some of the questions we talked about, you know, how can we change our industry for the better? What are some of the barriers? So I think that's a, a great opportunity for that. And the last part of the question was?
0: Uh, do do have any asks for the audience, anything they should check out, or, or you, for a start, you've got a book, Goodvertising, which yeah. I highly recommend going to buy. Uh, you've got another one in the works, yeah. which uh, I assume you can't talk about just yet. But Yeah,
1: I think the one thing that I've got to ask uh, is, it's really for people to... Um, think about how they can play a role in this whole industry and 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 go fucking make a difference. I mean, I always end up my my uh presentations with saying you're your wise and your work matters. And I think if there should be one kind of takeaway from all of this, it's just we have such an immense power still, even though I talk that it's slipping through our fingers, but we have an immense power in terms of uh what we can do with advertising and media and brands and I think that comes with a massive responsibility. So um, the last thing would probably say, you know, go do fucking amazing stuff, and ideas can change the world. So create some of those ideas, and uh, you know, let's let's create some beautiful, new, exciting future that we can all believe in, and that's going to make us all happy and healthy. And yeah, <laughs> I feel like
0: skipping the last question because I feel like you just answered it, so uh, <laughs> maybe maybe we should do that. Because I was going to ask, if you had one piece of advice to people, what what would you to uh, live a Better and more meaningful existence. What would you do?
1: I think my own journey has been very much around that. Actually, that that uh, I was, I was actually not that happy in the end of my kind of advertising days. So I felt that I couldn't really tell one week from another. It was all kind of just you know. When I look back, I didn't really know what happened last month, other than I was cranking on a new brief and a new brand and, so. I think it's really important to you know stop and listen to yourself and say what is it that you're really passionate about and and try and 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 say you know fuck all the naysayers that say you can't do it just just go and fucking do it if you're passionate about doing a blog or a podcast or whatever that's what you're fucking going to do and and i actually remember so i remember i pitched in the early days, we pitched the book to a highly esteemed creative colleague of mine and he was saying like, so what makes you capable of writing the book advertising? I mean, and my only response to him was because I do it. And I think that's the fucking mindset we're going to have if we want to change anything and if you want to change your life in a better direction is stop moaning about your life. Stop moaning about tight deadlines and how advertising sucks. And, and do something about it.
0: It was a perfect way to end. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much.
1: No, thank you. Thank you for listening to
0: another episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share. I'd also like to invite you to an ongoing project called the Move Me Mailing List. If you enjoyed the show, I'm confident you'll enjoy this newsletter. It contains links to all the great content I've uncovered each month, along with insights of any interesting opportunities I've discovered. You can subscribe to this by visiting my website at rickyrichards.com. A special thanks to Frankie Byrne and James Utting. They're the tech heads that make this show possible. The intro music was composed by Dom Storrs Fox. And thanks again to Rhys Chapman for introing me to Lou and Lizette, the wonderful folks at Factory Studios in London, where this show is recorded. Finally, wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a great day and keep creating. Until next time, bye for now.